Probably the most exciting time would be the lambing season, wouldn't it? That speaks of prosperity, speaks of uh, an ongoing work. You were a shepherd and your ewes didn't produce lambs, that would be the end. And so whenever we do a dedication or we do a baptism or someone comes to Christ, it's an exciting time because it means the kingdom is extending. And this, what we're doing this morning, is not just a prayer for a baby or for the parents of the baby, but it's a sign of the extension of the kingdom of God. We're taking this child that God has gifted mum and dad with, and in a way we're offering it back to God, saying, God, we expect you to take this child and to do something very special in the life of this child. And this child speaks of the extension of the kingdom, the longevity of the kingdom. Uh, Daphne and I had four sons. There was a time when they were struggling to work out for themselves what this salvation was. And in that period of time, it looks as though they're losing touch. They're not following their parents in the way that we would want them to, or they're finding their feet. But having dedicated all of them as children, we can stand in faith believing that having given them to God, God is watching over them in a very special way. And they've come back to God in a very special way. So I want to encourage all of you parents that have dedicated your children and maybe they're not following the Lord now or maybe they're struggling with things. Know that you've given them unto the Lord. So they're the Lord's. He will use you possibly in what you do in their lives, but they're his. And he never lets his down. He never disappoints his. So it's a pleasure. So I'm going to invite the... uh, Parents and the rest of the family, if they want to come and just stand around here with us. That's Grandma too. (laughs) (laughs) Uncle, yeah, you come too. Cousins, nieces, nephews, everything. (laughs) Where's Joel? Okay, okay. Okay. This is their fourth child. They've called this one Hannah. Does she look serious? You know, I thought, well, having chosen a biblical name, I better put it in context of what the Bible speaks about her. And, uh, yeah, talking about Hannah, um, we read about her in 1 Samuel, uh, chapter 1. She was the mother of Samuel. She went a long time, Hannah, went a long time without a child. And she so desired the blessing of God for a child. And so she prayed earnestly to God. And she said, God, if you give me this child, I will give this child back to you. And so we know how Samuel, after it was weaned, was presented back to Eli. And Eli raised the child in in the temple of God. And uh, she was a very serious person, I believe. She wasn't flippant. 
she was sort of dedicated and committed and serious. And as I thought of Hannah, I thought, my <laughs> life, this is a serious one. <laughs> so maybe you'll follow in Hannah's footsteps, Hannah, and be committed and dedicated unto God. You're going to come to granddad? Let's see if this works. Oh, look at this. Got you? Oh, sorry, yeah. Always take these off. I've learned that a long time ago. <laughs> well, they'll fly across the room. Now, the, these were your uncles and aunts and brothers and sisters, but you're going to leave us, aren't you, shortly? You're going to join a new family. David and Sabia and the family, this is their last Sunday with us. They're moving to a new home and a new church. That's it, and you'll be going with them. So you won't remember these people as your family. You'll have a new family. But we want to bless you, and we want to commit you to the Lord. Okay? You happy about that? Okay. <laughs> Amen. Let's pray then for her. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the precious gift of children. Father, they're such a joy, and I know at certain times they're such a pain as well. But Lord, in the pain and in the joy... They're a precious gift to us, Lord. And we thank you for them, Lord. We thank you because they can bring an element of love that only children can bring. Lord, we thank you that they are a blessing, not only to natural families, but to the church family as well. And Father, we pray for little Hannah now. We commit her to you. Lord, that your hand will always be upon her, that she will know the blessing and the prosperity of God and the peace of God will fill her heart and fill her life. Lord, if she's going to be a serious little person, Lord, we pray for joy in that seriousness. Lord, if she's going to be a prayer, like her namesake, Lord, we pray that she'll pray powerful prayers. It'll bring about the salvation of many. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay. All right. We just pray for the mum and dad as well. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for David and Sabia. Father, we thank you for their life, their commitment to you, the, the way they want to bring their girls up, loving and following the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray that you'll strengthen them. Lord, you'll just cause them to be an example to their children. Not so much what they say, but what their children see them do and how they live their life and how they share love with one another and to the world outside. Father, we ask this blessing upon them. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, right. Other members of the family can go. The, the Edward Sabia family stay. Right. Okay. It's a dedication certificate here and uh, Hannah's first Bible. Thank you. Oh. Okay. That's a gift from uh, the church here. Thank you, right, they're leaving us. Uh, been with us eight years, I believe. Yes? Okay, so I've had the opportunity to pound things into them for eight years. <laughs> and uh, I've succeeded. That's why we're leaving. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Tired. <laughs> succeeded to some extent, and uh, yeah, seeing the, uh, the little ones here grow up has been an exciting thing. We have chapters in our lives, don't we? 
we move on. We do. And uh, parting is sweet sorrow in a way. It is sorrowful, but also it's for their good often. It's for the next stage in their life, whatever God's going to do. Uh, and so I'm glad they're going, uh, I would say, in a proper way. Often people, when they come to church, they just leave. They just disappear, even if they've been for many years. And I think that's sad. See, I don't have a problem now. I used to have a problem with people moving on because I wanted to hold people and love people. But people move on. We do move on. And so it has to be done properly. And uh, when it's done properly, we can say goodbye properly and we can send them off with a blessing and wish them all the very best. So let me just pray for them and we've got a little gift there for them what we want to give. Father, we thank you for this precious family. Lord, I know it's special to me, but they're very special to you because they love you. They've given their lives to the Lord Jesus Christ and they want to live a life where they're serving and glorifying you. Lord, I pray your blessing upon them as they go. Lord, there are challenges ahead of them. There'll be trials and difficulties. There'll be temptations. There'll be hardships and problems ahead. But Lord, there'll be also glorious times. Wonderful uh, blessings from the Lord. Times of excitement. Times when you move powerfully in their lives. Lord, when you move in the way of healing and deliverance and uh, prosperity and blessing mm. in all areas mm. of their life. Lord, I pray they'll walk before you. Lord, all of us have different challenges because of what you've given us. And I pray, Lord, they will fulfill their ministry and calling and the challenges you put before them. They'll re respond to them in a godly, biblical way. Father, we ask your blessing upon them as they leave us now. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Okay, got one or two things here. So, who's this for? This is Grace. Grace, that's for you from the church here. Naomi, that's for you. And Mum and Dad, this is for you. And a card that's been signed by the majority. If you haven't signed a card and you want to, I'm sure you'll get an opportunity this morning, but the majority have. Thank you very much. Okay, the best. Okay, thank you, Pat. Mm. Yeah, they used to kiss in this grumpy old man. There we go. <laughs> Off we go. Okay. Another little job before I bring a, a message to you. Levan's off again tomorrow. We have people coming one day, going the next day, coming the next day. So, Lauren, come and just share a little bit about where you're going, what you're going to do. Can you use this mic over here? That's it. Hi, everyone. Um, it, it only seems a few months um, since I last went to Kenya, so um, I'm intending to go tomorrow evening. Um, didn't know what to really share, but um, recently the the thing that's been laid on my heart really, um, and I've been told this so many times, is um, that I'm a carrier of joy, and um, I really feel this time round it's. Um Children are leaving. Maybe. Wow, where have all these kids come from all of a sudden? Do you have enough chairs in there, Esther? You can have some more. Do you need more chairs? Yeah? 
Well, you, this is your big chance to say yay or nay. Okay. We have a running battle in our home about how long I can preach for. <laughs> My wife said to me, you've got a lot on this morning, you'd better keep it short. <laughs> yeah. I know the feeling. <laughs> okay. I'm going to start this talk with you this morning with just a, a question, and uh, I want an answer, and so uh, it's a biblical question. Uh, you might not know the answer, it doesn't matter, uh, but I'm sure someone would know. What did these three people have in common? What did the rich young ruler, or the rich young man rather, not the ruler, the rich young man, have in common with the Philippian jailer? And what did they both have in common with the crowd that Peter preached to on the day of Pentecost. What shall we do? Okay. The crowd said, when Peter had preached to them, what then shall we do? We have been challenged in our heart that we have crucified the Lord. What shall we do? And then the Philippian jailer, when there was an earthquake and they were all going to break out, he said, what... What can I do? How can I be saved from this terrible situation? And the rich young man who came to him, he said, what must I do to get eternal life? Which is a very similar question. What must I do? Your life, from the minute you get out of bed till you go back to bed again, is full of doing. Unless you just wake up in bed and stay there which is not normal, all of you look fairly healthy and strong to me, so you get out of bed and you start doing. You keep doing all day until you put your head on the pillow again. So doing is what comes natural to us. Now, in the evangelical church, um, it's always been quick to emphasise, and this is perfectly right, that we're not saved by what we do. Your works cannot save you. Your goodness cannot save you. We are saved because of the mercy of God. We call that his grace. He gives us something that we do not deserve. And all we simply do, realizing the reality that Jesus is the Son of God and he died for us and was risen from the dead for our justification, believing that, we say, I receive Christ as my Saviour. And the work of salvation 
is finished. It's not our work, it was his work. He worked our salvation, and through grace and our faith, we received this wonderful gift into ourselves. Maybe we've overemphasized grace. Because sometimes when I speak about what we do, people come back to me and say, no, we're saved by grace. It's all by grace. I don't have to do anything. That's absolutely true. You don't have to do anything to get saved. But the minute you are saved, what you do is of vital importance to God. Everything you do, the way you think, the way you act, the way you look, what you say is all important to God. The doing of your life is very important. I want to emphasize the doing this morning. I don't want to take anything away from the grace of God, but I want to maybe balance things up with the doing that we're expected to do. It's, it's Father's Day today, so I might target it towards the men a little bit more than the women. And we always give a little gift to the women. Well, men, I've got a little gift for you today. Isn't that wonderful? Ooh, yeah. You might not fully appreciate it when you've got it. But I did think of you, and I did prepare and bring something for you. You know the story of Mary and Martha, where Jesus visits the house of his friends. It appears that Lazarus isn't there, simply Mary and Martha. And of course, we know that Mary sits at his feet, and Martha is a doer. So we see her busying herself in the kitchen, and I think she's bashing and crashing around a little bit. She's making the fact known that she is very busy in the kitchen, and Mary's outside sitting at the feet of Jesus, just soaking in everything he's saying. Now, whenever I've preached on this, I have given Martha a hard time. I understand that. And whenever I go home, Daphne gives me a hard time. Okay? Because Daphne is a doer. If you're a doer, it's very hard to just simply sit at the feet of Jesus listening because inside, even when you're sitting and listening, you want to get up and do something. Now, um, yeah, I'm, I think she's had a bit of a hard lashing on Martha, you know. Yeah, Dave, I'm, I'm pointing at you too. I think you've been hard on, on, on Martha too. Okay. Um, uh, so she wasn't perfect. Her attitude wasn't brilliant. But her heart was good. And she knew that she had to be doing where Mary perhaps needed a bit of a kick to get going. Now, you know if I'm talking to you this morning... In the book of Acts, where we kick it off in 1-1, Acts 1 and 1, and some would suggest that Luke wrote that, he starts off with this. He says, I wrote about all the things that Jesus began to do and teach. So the emphasis is on the doing. That's why he put it first. If the emphasis was on the teaching and the doing was quite secondary, he would have said, I, I tell you everything about what he taught you. He would have made that one, but he didn't. Jesus was a doer, and within the doing, there was teaching in the doing, wasn't there? People saw, they, they saw his example. They saw him loving. They saw him picking up children. They saw him ministering to people. And that was a preaching that was visible 
and might have had greater effect than his words because often they said, we don't understand what you're talking about. He would speak in parables and they say, can you explain the parables to us? And these were his close followers who didn't understand what he was talking about. So Jesus was a doer. In Romans 12, Paul says, we have different gifts according to the grace that is given us. Let us use this gift to the proportion of our faith. All of you have a gifting from the Lord. You should know what that gifting is and you should be using it to the proportion of the faith that God has given you. And so we need to discover what it is God has graced us to do and find ourselves busy doing it. The outline for my uh, little talk this morning is Psalm 15. This is where you all get your iPhones out. I can't stand this. And never mind, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. That's it, Dave. Always bring a Bible. Be your assurance to me. Okay. Okay. This is where you get your present men. You go, is that enough presents for all these men? I surely reassure you it is. Okay. This is it. You say, Philip, you've gone beyond the bounds of generosity this morning. Okay, now, you ladies, you can't have this. You get your present on ladies' uh, Mother's Day, so you can't have this. So, who's going to do a job? Here, I'm Mark. One to the men. Watch the women, because they'll pinch it as well if they can. Just one each to the men. This is the first. I don't think we've ever given a present to the men before. I can't remember. No, I can't remember it. Is it like, you know when you invite people for dinner or to your home, the wife gets the present, doesn't she? Is that, that's usually the, yeah. yeah. No, it's not fair. Why don't they think about us blokes and bring us blokes a present? I mean, we might have paid for the dinner after all, mightn't we? Oh, you see, they love one. one of the, the ladies would love one of these, but no, they can't. See, I'm, I'm making a fuss of the man, that's all it is. Yeah, laminated. Uh, Daphne did the computer work, I must admit. The rest was down to me. We make a good team. How are we doing? Okay, let's have a look at then Psalm 15. I'm going to read it first in the NIV, and then I'm going to read it in the message. And all the guys have got is um, lines of what it says in the message. Okay, can we get the message on here? You can't get that. Okay. NIV then, Psalm 15. It's a Psalm of David. Lord, who may dwell in your sanctuary? Who may live on your holy hill? He whose walk is blameless and who does what is righteous, who speaks the truth from his heart and has no slander on his tongue, who does his neighbour no wrong and casts no slur on his fellow man, who despises a vile man but honours those who fear the Lord, who keeps his oath even when it hurts, who lends his money without usury and does not accept a bribe against the innocent. He who does this thing will never be shaken. 
That's a lot of doing. In fact, it's all about what you do. It's about not so much the ministry that you have, but just the life that you live. You see, just living is a testimony to God. Because you live in a certain way, and through the way that you live, you are a living testimony. People look at your lives. God makes sure they see you. So for you men, you have to live with an integrity. And so as people look to you, they will see Christ. They might not understand what they're seeing, but with a little bit of explanation, they will know because God lives in you. As Dave was saying this morning, it's God living in you that makes you this person that is so wonderful and attractive and looks like Christ. That's the goal, fellas, to look and sound and walk like Christ. That's the goal of our life. Let me read it to you in the message. It's, it's not a translation, the message. It's a paraphrase. It's, it's a nice, fresh version to read sometimes. God who, gets, God, who gets invited to dinner at your place? Who do you get on? How do, you get on, how do we get on your guest list? This is what the answer is. Walk straight, act right, tell the truth. Don't hurt your friends, don't blame your neighbours, despise the despicable. Keep your word even when it costs you, make an honest living and never take a bribe. You'll never get blacklisted if you live like this. What they have on their card, ladies, are these nine points. Walk straight, act right, tell the truth. Don't hurt your friends. Don't blame your neighbours. Despise the despicable. Keep your word even when it costs you. Make an honest living and never take a bribe. Now, it doesn't only apply to men. It's the word of God. It applies to everyone, men and women. But we're sort of targeting the men a little bit this morning, ladies. Walk straight. The first thing you have to do, guys, is walk straight. People are watching your walk. Quoting from Jesus in the parable of the sower. Remember the sower? He went out and sowed seeds. Some fell on the path and the bird took it away. Stony ground, thistles, and other seed fell in good soil where it produced 30, 60, and 100 fold. It says this in Luke's version of 8.15. But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and a good heart. Men, you must have a noble and a good heart. The seed doesn't make you good and noble. Your heart is already good and noble. And when the seed falls on a good and a noble heart, it produces fruit. If your heart is not good and noble, the seed cannot take root to produce the life of Christ within you. What is this good and noble heart? Many men's hearts are devious. Many men's hearts, they say one thing and they do another. They appear to be one way and they're something else. Our walk with the Lord must be a visible thing. See, just by going to work, talking to your neighbour, being in the street, joining whatever you join, if you're part of a club or a gym or something, 
by your actions, you are preaching to people. You are saying to people, I have a good and a noble heart. Mustn't cover things up. Mustn't have double standards. One thing in church, another thing in the home. One thing in church, another thing down the pub. One thing in work, another thing in church. That's not a noble and a good heart. There should be no difference wherever we find ourselves. We're to be open, we're to be honest, we're to be consistent, and we're to be sincere. Or also hallmarks of a good heart. People who look at you need to say, he's a good person. Not he's religious, or he's a crank, or he's a, good, a do-gooder. No, we don't, that's not a compliment. They say he's a good man. Not always preaching at people, but walking with an honesty where we could say, that's a good man. He's a good man. Then they might discover you're a Christian later, but first, you're a good man. Secondly, we're to act right. Always choose to do the right thing. The world is full of deceptions and lies. Are you fed up with the referendum talks? Glory. You know, I'm not saying our politicians are liars. It's just the twist they put on it. You know what I mean? I listen to this one, and he gets the facts and twists it this way. And this one almost takes the same facts and twists it that way. And you go, Lord, these are terrible men. Well, they're not really. Oh, terrible women as well. Okay, no, they're not. I understand their political bias, but they're not truthful. It doesn't come across as being truthful. They should act right. We live in a world where there's loads of bad stuff. But we have to be in the world, don't we? Don't extract yourself from the world because you're no good. We have to be in the world, salt and light, mixing with sinners, mixing with people who don't act right, but we act right in that place. You say, oh, it's so hard. Oh, I know it's hard. They want to do this, but you don't want to appear pious and righteous and spiritual, so you go, oh, I don't know what to do. Somehow you've got to work that out with the Spirit of God in that you can go down the pub with them, but somehow righteousness prevails and you are a testimony of goodness. Just to say, I'm not going there, I'm not doing that, I'm taking myself out of this. We limit ourselves to the effect that we can have in and on the world. We need to be salt and light in the darkness and where things are going rotten. We need to be there. Your actions will always speak louder than your words. Always. Always. I know people say things to me, but when I look at their lives, it doesn't follow suit, so it it means nothing. In fact, say less and do more. Do more of the right. The third one in this personal integrity thing is to do with telling the truth. Jesus speaking to a group of converted Jews, Jewish believers in John 8:44 says, and this is my version, when we tell lies and cover up our mistakes or gain an unfair advantage through lies, we're speaking Satan's native language. He is a liar and the father of lies. When you lie to cover up or to gain an advantage, you're speaking Satan's language. I never said that. 
Jesus said that's Satan's native language to tell lies. People must experience truth. Jesus is truth, and you are representing the person of Jesus. So truth is of paramount importance to us because it is the hallmark of Christ in our life. The second little group that we got on these cards is about relationships. Following on from our dominion, it's important how we treat one another. Don't hurt your friends. The majority of men don't have a single problem with not hurting your friends. Do you know why? What? They don't have any. That's why men don't have a problem with not hurting their friends. Men haven't got any friends. They haven't got any. Men are useless at this. They are absolutely useless at making friends. Women are better. They can sit down, have a cup of coffee and a chat and say, oh, men are far too busy. What, watching football on their own? Come on, guys. If Jesus said it's important to have friends, you should have a friend. Who's your friend? Jesus. Jesus. <laughs> That's the easiest friend to have. doesn't count. A flesh and blood one who walks around on this planet. I used to know this guy and he used to say, oh, so-and-so is a great friend of mine. And I'd say to him, when did you last see him? And he said, about six months ago. When did, when did you last do anything with him or do anything for Oh, no, we haven't done anything for years. He's not a friend. He's an acquaintance. Who's your friend? Come on. You can't have your brother. Who's your friend? Have you got a friend? Who? Jimmy. Jimmy. That's good. You've got a friend. Someone you can talk to. Someone you can relate to. Do you know why we don't have them, guys? Because they take time and investment of time. And they take energy to build relationship. That's it. Find someone who you can get on the same wavelength with, talk about things that are interesting to you, and build a friendship. It's important. You will learn so many Christian biblical principles simply by having a friend. If you have a friend, number one, you must guard their reputation. Okay? If it's your friend and people are speaking evil of your friend, you need to say, even though you know what they're saying might be true, I don't want to hear this, because that's my friend you're talking about. I don't want to hear what you're saying, because he is my friend. You're to guard his reputation. I worked with an associate pastor once, and people used to, in the church, when they wanted to complain about me, they used to go to him. And he used to say, now listen... You might not understand what Philip is saying or doing here, but I tell you, he's a good man. And if you go talk to him, he will explain to you what he's doing. See, he was guarding my reputation. He was watching over me. You must do nothing to hurt your friend. Nothing at all. And you must never, you must never walk out on your friend. You must not do it. It's almost the same way that you enter into a covenant relationship with a wife. 
And you enter into a covenant relationship with a friend. Jesus said, I call you my friends. Why? Because everything the Father has given and shown me, I have shared it with you. I have made my heart open to you. I have built relationship with you. We are together on this. And they all ran out on him. But they were his friends. We should have friends. Guys, you need a friend. You need a friend. Someone who can speak honestly into your life. I don't speak honestly into your life. You know that. Oh, when I'm preaching up here, I get away with some things. But you need to be able to say to someone, can you talk into my life? Tell me what's wrong. And I will accept it because we have a friendship. We don't do that. We're afraid of the truth and afraid to build these relationships. The second regarding relationships is don't blame your neighbours, the people around you. Never say if other people were different, this would be a better place. Of course that's true. But you make it a better place. Oh, oh, you know, oh, the, the church should be this and the church should be that and the church should be that. Of course I know what it should be. I've been trying to work at it for 30, 40 years to try to make it be what it should be. But all you've got to say is, listen, I'm going to get this bit right. That's all. I'm going to walk in love. I'm going to forgive. I'm going to make an effort. I'm going to build relationships. I'm going to invite people to my home. I'm going to give to this. I'm going to do that. We have to make it a better place ourselves. I've been impressed very strongly by that verse in Ephesians that says we can be filled to the fullness of the measure of God's love. Do you understand what that's saying? It says that you can love like God loves. That's amazing. That's a goal, isn't it? And Paul has prayed that for you, that you will love in the same way that God loved. Amazing. That's what we need to do. You should never tell someone you love them. Daph will say, this is rich coming from you because you're always trying to win points telling me you love me. <laughs> See, love, love is an action. I sh- you shouldn't have to tell me you love me. It should be obvious by the things that you do, the way that you treat me, the way that you treat other people. That love should be obvious. It's like, oh, I know you love me. Why? You're always welcoming me. You're always positive towards me. You're always embracing me. You're, you know, you're saying good things. You're encouraging me. That should be obvious. Through our actions, we show our love. And if we don't think we've done enough, I'll let you say it now and again. If you don't think the person is getting it. Do you know giving someone a cup of tea is an act of love? Hugging someone? You know, realising that you talking to them are boring them stiff, so you walk away from them. You understand what I'm saying? You are so tedious and boring in your conversation, can't you see I'm not interested in what you're saying? If you love me, you'll walk away and not bore the pants off me. You say, Philip, is that true? Of course it's true, not in all of your cases. Oh, is that me you're talking about? Ooh, you'll never know. I'm too polite. 
See, if we love a person, we're not looking after our interests, what we want to say, what we want to do, what we want to express ourselves, but we're listening for what they want to say. Sometimes I catch myself talking too much and I'm angry with myself because I haven't let them express themselves to me. And sometimes I'm in a conversation where that person does all the talking and when I get away, I feel, ah, that was horrible because we never communicated across here. It was you blasting me. And we need to just be sensitive and express our love one to another. Despise the despicable. Don't be indifferent about what's wrong, men. If something's wrong, stand up and say this is wrong. We're too nice. Christian men can be so nice, sin can be raging around us, people doing all sorts of stupid things, and we're afraid to open our mouths and say, that is wrong. Stop that. And when someone does something good, say, that's a wonderful thing that you've done. We need to compliment the good. And not let evil prevail. When good men do nothing, evil prevails. I'm too nice. I know I'm too nice. I, I, I speak my mind at home, but when I come out, I'm a shadow of that man. Because I'm so sensitive to the needs of others. Even when I know it's wrong, We should speak up more men. Last area is money. How you handle your money and the way you think about your money, guys, can make or break you. And it doesn't matter how much you've got or how little you've got. That's not the issue. It's how you think about it. Keep your word even when it costs you. Everything should cost you. Do you love parting with money? Oh, it's such a joy. Honestly. Get rid of what you got so God can give you more. So you get rid of that and get some more and get rid of that and get some more. If you commit to something, keep your word. Keep your word. If you say, I'm going to come to such and such an event and then you, you don't make it or you find an excuse not to go, give them the money anyway. Give them the money. If you accept a price for something, keep your word. I'm I'm hearing the gazumping thing is happening again. House prices, they're going up and up. So people are selling house prices, pulling them off the market, selling them to somebody else. It's a wicked evil thing for Christians to do. If you agree a price on something, you agree a price. If in a month's time that's gone up 2,000 pounds, it's evil to raise the price. And in a promise to pay a price, pay it. God cannot break his word. It's impossible for God to lie. So we must never break our word. Number two, make an honest living, men. Never charge interest on a loan, ever. The banks can do it, you can't. When you lend to someone, lend them to receive that money back. Do not exploit people. Sometimes, not electricians, they're all right. 
Any plumbers here? Plumbers are wicked. A plumber will fit a red, a little round rubber washer and have the liberty to charge you 140 quid. Honestly, that is absolutely true. That is wicked. That is evil. No Christians should be plumbers. In the same way, no Christians should be bankers. No Christian should be second-hand car salesman. It shouldn't happen. Don't exploit people. Do an honest day's work for an agreed salary. No, I understand we all get different salaries. Some are very high and some are not so high. But agree the salary and do the work for what you've agreed to do. If someone gets paid more than you, that's fine. Be honest. Have integrity in the area of money. Don't cheat. Don't cheat on your wife. Don't cheat on the boss. Don't cheat on the bills or fines or taxes. And definitely don't cheat on God. Don't cheat anyone anywhere. Pay up as honestly and as quickly as you can. You know, you can't be too honest. Do you know why you can't be too honest? Because you're either honest or dishonest. So be honest. Too honest is nonsense, isn't it? You're one or the other. So be honest, men. And the final one in this money section, never take a bribe. You say, well, our culture isn't into bribing like we know other cultures are. Satan is bribing you guys all the time. All the time he is persuading you through bribery to do what he wants you to be. I'm going to suggest to you there should be certain attitudes and activities related to money that are non-negotiable, fellas. This is it. Number one, we let you let pay your bills. Always pay your bills. Always pay your bills. Never look to duck out of it. When you lend money to somebody, do not expect it back. That's how you fall out of friendship. Of course, if it's a loan, it should come back. But if it doesn't, you'll have to leave it where it is. Always give generously to the poor and to the work of God. Generously is the key word. Generously. Give generously. And generosity hurts. It hurts. If it doesn't hurt, you're not being generous enough. Okay? So it needs to hurt. Two more. Believe that God is the only one who meets your needs. Not your boss, not your employer, not the tax man. God will meet all of your needs according to his riches. That's the promise of God. And the last one, never let money be a deciding factor in your life. I'm going to repeat that one. Never let money be the deciding factor in your life. If you do, you're submitting yourself to the spirit of mammon. You need to pray about situations and have the spirit of God lead you. If you ever say to me, I can't do this because I haven't got the money, I'm likely to just clock you nicely. If you feel that God is calling you to do something, the Spirit of God, whether you've got the money or haven't got the money, is irrelevant. See, you could have all the money in the world. I offer to you, let's go on a mission, and you say yes. 
Did you ask God whether you should go? You say, well, the money wasn't a problem. It is a problem. It means you can disobey the will of God because you have all the money that you want. The important thing about every decision is you ask the Spirit of God what you should be doing and you do it irrespective whether you've got the money or you haven't got the money. Then God is the deciding factor in your life, not the bank manager or your bank account or the spirit of mammon. We must live by these principles if we're to live godly lives. It says finally here, he who does these things will never be shaken. Or it says in this version here, you'll never get blacklisted if you live like this. How we do every day is vital to God. How we walk, how we act, how we speak, how we commune with people, how we build friendships, relationships, our integrity. God has established biblical principles that we live by. And it's vital to God that we live by them. Yes, we are saved by the wonderful grace and mercy of God, but we live according to the the principles of God that will take some effort on our place. That is the doing of the Word of God. Okay, fellas? Good on you. Bless you all. Thank you, Phil. That was wonderful. Yeah. I think that's enough to keep us going for the next year, really.